This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Coming up on today's show, Canada's contribution to the relief effort in Syria and Turkey. Is it enough? Are we doing nearly enough? We've sent an assessment team. We'll talk about that. Alberta condo owners are petitioning the province to try and get included in the electricity rebates. And Burt Bacharach has died at the age of 94. You want to talk about a hit maker? This guy had more than, well, I think, anyone. Yeah, so, you know, we're talking a bit about what Canada's doing to help out in Turkey and Syria. And as I said, you know, we sent an assessment team and we've offered the $10 million. And let's just contrast that to some of the other countries. I mentioned Australia. They're also going with $10 million, But they've also promised to deploy a search and rescue team of up to 72 people and have them there by tomorrow. Um, two U.S. Agency for International Development teams with 80-plus people and dogs already on their way. The U.K. sent 76 search and rescue specialists with four search dogs. Uh, China, 82 earthquake rescuers and four dogs. India, two teams of 100 people have been sent. Pakistan, sending two C-130 planes with relief supplies and 36 search and rescue personnel. Japan sent piles of equipment. Poland, Taiwan, and Switzerland all did that as well. Um, and the list just goes on. Qatar, Iraq, the United Arab Emirates, Russia, Greece, Israel, Spain have already sent or pledged to send rescue teams or military members along with all kinds of aid. So... Uh, Finland stepped up, Germany stepped up, Saudi Arabia. I mean, just the list of countries that goes on and on. And Canada has sent an assessment team. I understand that there is a need to assess the situation, but at the same time, the bigger need, in my mind, is help. Maybe you can do both at the same time. I don't know, but let's chat with uh, Dr. Ferry DeKerko, who's a senior fellow at the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa and a fellow of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Um, doctor, thanks so much for joining us again. Always a pleasure to chat. With pleasure. When I take a look at this, I, I, how do you read this uh, in terms of what Canada is doing in response uh, to the situation versus, well, a, a list of dozens of other countries around the world? Are we dropping the ball here? We've always dropped the ball in, in the last <laughs> few years, it seems, because we, there's a kind of a navel-gazing on one side and then the, the, the lukewarm in any foreign field on the part of the prime minister. We don't have a real foreign policy. We try to develop an Asian policy, repeating some of the old trodden stuff, but not really anything that looks muscular as it should be. Uh, we, you know what? Compared to 25 years ago, and okay, I'm an old time, and we always go into the back of mm -hmm. history, but we had a foreign policy. We had an influence, and, and that applies to both sides. We had, with Axworthy on the liberal side, we had a very energetic foreign policy that was successful. So under Mr. Harper, the tone was entirely different, but at least we were present. We were, he was a bit too pro-Israel and didn't mind talking, you know, ignoring the, the Arabs. But we had a foreign policy. Now we have words and we have pop. So yeah, you yeah. can't expect me to give you more than that. I must say, I, I, I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed. But I, I, I think what is, you know, the problem is that 
when you don't know much about what goes on into a country, you, you lose the interest. And considering that we have a foreign policy that is static as in, in very internal to bureaucrats, and I, I'm a former bureaucrat, I'm saying that without hesitation, because in my days we were thinking, Right now in foreign affairs and all these various GAC institutions, we're, we're just managing programs mm-hmm. and, and we spend vetting our own programs and we look at them again. And while the world moves, we're static. So, I, I, in fact, I, I much prefer to talk about the reality of yeah. the situation on the ground than spending time on bemoaning the fact that we're so little on the international stage compared to years, uh, years past or compared to many other countries that you've quoted eloquently. Yeah, I'm with you on that doctor you're right it's disappointing but uh, let's talk about the situation on the ground i mean we know that window is closing right we're transitioning now from rescue to recovery yeah we are from rescue to recovery and and i admire the people working on the ground because you know the, the the problem is that you're talking about a region where it's it's a disaster adding to ongoing catastrophe yeah, yeah. so and and brother erdogan who always boasts that he's the greatest guy on earth and even in the sky he's losing a lot of traction because first of all the building codes that are normal for a such a dangerous area of the world very pro to earthquake, all those measures have never been uh, implemented. You know, yeah, there's, yeah. there's a tax in Turkey for, for earthquake uh, management, and the problem is that nobody knows where the money that is <laughs> accruing will go. So I don't know whether your house in Turkey is better built than the one in California, but, but you don't know things like that. So all of that, and, and Erdogan is facing an election, and, and now he's running like little rabbit around the various points where the earthquake struck, because he says he's got a recapture, but there's a lot of angst and, and angriness. But I, you know, the, the problem is we're dealing with a region uh, that is in, in, really in massive turmoil. Have you already been into an earthquake yourself? I, a very, very minor one in Southern California a few years ago. It lasted for about 10 seconds, and I thought somebody, I was in a trailer, and I thought somebody was shaking the trailer. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess you, then you don't know what it no, is. No, I have no idea. I was, on the 20, I was on the 20th floor of a massive earthquake in Pakistan in the in 90, in that, what was it, in 92 or 91, anyway. And I can tell you, when you see the chandeliers moving 10 meters from one side to another, you think, okay, if it falls on me, Roger and out. But so, so, you know, it's one of the most traumatic experiences. So I feel for all these people. So let's, let's talk a bit about the Syrian side and then the Turkish side, because I think people have to know, because so few people have traveled to, to Syria, and of course ever since the, the Assad family took control, we look at them like you know, pariah, yeah. and yet it's a, it's a beautiful country it's the wonderful people, I travel all over Syria and, and it's, it's absolutely a wonderful wonderful place, the problem it's been ongoing for a conflict for 12 years, uh, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's government in opposition, but these guys shoot as opposed to talking, uh, there's some very extremist group that was that stemmed from the Arab Spring, from Daesh. You know Daesh, the 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 the, the, the famous group that is still alive and kicking in Syria, in Syria, in Iraq. Uh, the, the, those those extremist religious warmongers. 
So, so the, the, the problem is that it's still in a state of war. You, you know that the refugee, we're talking about millions, millions of Syrians yeah. that are refugee in their own country because there's a, this kind of divide between the north and the south, and, and Turkey is involved and controls a band of 20 kilometers along the whole border of Syria and Turkey because the, the Turks have a problem with the Kurds. The Americans support the Kurds because they were the best fighter against Daesh. You know, I could go on and on and on and on, and I would lose your listener in less than two minutes. <laughs> the problem is that you've got to realize that it's a quagmire over there, and that Assad, who, who everybody wanted out, the American had all vowed Assad would be gone. Yeah. Assad is still in power, and brother, brother Erdogan thinks that now it's time to make peace with Assad because there's no other way. Meanwhile, you have, you know, in a way, in a way, if you look at the situation geographic where, where the Syrian earthquake has exploded, you feel for the people. And on the other hand, you know, there'll be more people, more Syrians saved than there on the Turkish side because all those Syrian refugees are in tents and therefore sure. the, there's no building to fall on them. But it, it's, it's the legacy, you know, this whole affair is the legacy first of the Arab Spring, then the Daesh, the, the Muslim group, then the Kurdish situation. There's no end to, to the problem that is facing that region. So I, I admire that there's still teams working on, on the, you know, the rumbles of the, of the earthquake. But that is, is, in fact, a humanitarian issue. But the, the day after will be just as horrific than it is today. Yeah, and, and, and I guess the concern is uh, there's a reluctance from a lot of countries to jump in with both feet in Syria. We're hearing that a lot from groups on the ground, that a lot of the aid and a lot of the rescue efforts, they're not in Syria. It's focused on Turkey right now. Well, absolutely, because considering that you're talking about an, an insurgency in, in northern Syria that the government doesn't control, so it doesn't have the sway of order on, in their own country, so you have no idea when the team gets through to, to the Syrian border, what is going, will it survive some of the group? Because Daesh, Daesh that we conquered, we vanquished, etc., it's still there and it's still, still kicking very, you know, it's, it's a move from a, from a movement to become an insurgency, which we have never leveled completely. That it's no surprise that from time to time you hear the Americans say, "Oh, by the way, we got that leader of Daesh." Okay, yeah. fine. The leader falls, and then you've got ten more that are coming up. So, the whole this, this whole area is in turmoil. And I have to say, although I'm very critical of Erdogan, I do recognize that we need a stable regime in Turkey. Maybe not as undemocratic as Erdogan, but at least they still have election, and he tries to to screw it, screw it in one way or another. But the bottom line is Turkey is a member of NATO. Turkey is important as a kind of in-between between Moscow and, 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 and even the United States. So, so Turkey is a very important strategic player there, but it is also a, a kind of a modest dictator that wants to control his country, like as he has mm -hmm. done for the past 20 years. So we're living, you know, you've got to see that area where it, it struck. And it's also an area where the external actors are blossoming. You've got Russia, which always looked at Syria as its key stranglehold, 
in the Middle East. Syria has been the all-weather friend of Russia yes, for reasons yeah. that are strictly strategic. Then you have, of course, as I said, the Kurdish issue for Turkey. You have, of course, Iran that med- meddles because of the Shia uh, component of the Syrian entity. So there's this mix, and Iran is, is, is playing cahoots in that one, too. And then you have, of course, the U.S., big player, uh, wanted to get rid of Daesh, still works on it, doesn't want Assad, but will have to accept Assad. And you have also Israel. You know, all these players are there because Israel is very worried about the Islamist threat. Uh, they know that Hezbollah is also Hezbollah, you know, the group that works in, in Lebanon, but is also harbored in, in Syria. They wanted to make sure that, they, that nothing until yeah, it comes yeah. to it. And that's, that explains, in fact, in part why uh, Israel is rather timid in terms of supporting uh, Ukraine because they've got that special relationship, uh, you know, with, with, with Russia, and they have planes flying against the, the, the you know, all, all the, the Muslim Brotherhood and whatever that are playing footsies in that region. So their flights are flying close by the Russians, so they don't want to destroy that arrangement between Russia and themselves, Israeli, that no, no yeah, harm comes to their million, own airplane. Million moving pro- yeah, I mean, Ferry, you're, you're there's right. There's so many pieces. To try and extra- exactly, yeah. I mean, the, the puzzle is so complex, uh, and it causes issues. I, I really appreciate your time, but I do have to get to a break. Thanks very much, Ferry. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Right now, though, we're going to have another conversation about provincial politics and one that a lot of you point out. It's interesting. Whenever we've had Matt Jones, the minister responsible for the affordability um, payments and, and uh, you know, all the affordability action plan that the province brought in, and, and I ask him on your behalf, well, what about the single people who aren't getting the $100 a month or, you know, and, and, and his response always is, well, okay, I understand not everybody's included in that, but everybody's included in the energy rebates. Everybody's benefiting from the reduction on the electricity. And, and we, and all of you instantly text in and say, well, I'm not, I'm not, I live in a condo and I'm not getting it or my landlord is keeping it. I don't get it. Um, and, and there's no question that a number of people have been left out of the different aspects. Um, it doesn't apply to everyone. Uh, the electricity rebates of $500, not everybody's going to get that. And now condo owners in our province are rallying together to try and spur the government into changing the policy and having them included because, yeah, they are left out. So let's get some details on what their plan is. We're going to chat with Phil Rosenswag of the Condo Owners Forum Society of Alberta. Phil, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Now, first of all, let's just find what we're talking about here. When it comes to condos, condo owners, whatever the case, 
is nobody receiving an electricity rebate? Like, are, are, do some people pay their own utilities, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, we figure there's, according to Statistics Canada, close to 600,000 condo owners in the province. And we figure uh, half of them are probably getting the the rebate because they're in townhouses or, as you say, they, they pay their own utilities. But the rest of us, around 300,000, are not. We're not getting anything. <laughs> okay, so is anybody, like, how many people live in the condo complex that you're in, for example? In the condo complex that I'm in, uh, there's 124 units. Okay. Uh, and probably 300, uh, 300 uh, uh, people uh, living in here. Uh, I'm in Lethbridge, and uh, and uh, we're in the Seniors Plus building. Okay. So we're all seniors pretty well. Now, listen, we're talking about 124 units. If you saved 500 bucks a unit, uh, we're going to be talking about 60 thousand dollars Is anybody getting the $500 a month? Is there a condo organization? Is there somebody that's seeing at least 500 bucks here? No, um, certainly not in our building and the... Uh, the owners that live in these condos that have a single meter and pay their utilities through their condo fees, none of them are getting anything. Okay. What's the ask to the government? What, what's the petition? What's the push? Well, the petition is to, uh, is to ask Minister Jones to, uh, to uh, give us the same uh, rebate as, uh, as other homeowners and taxpayers are getting. Uh, there's a perfect example in Ontario that's been there since 2016, where condo owners uh, do a, 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 a an application through a portal, uh, and uh, and uh, and then uh, the rebate would come back to them. Um, as the uh, condo board is the one paying uh, paying the utilities, we in, in uh, we we feel that the uh, that the um, the rebates would come back to the condo boards, and it would be up to the condo boards how they uh, uh, have their owners uh, uh, get relief from the high cost of inflation. Uh, is it just the electricity? I mean, there's other like there's the natural gas rebates, those sorts of things. Wouldn't they fall into the same category? Or are you just hoping you to bet. get? Absolutely, uh, natural gas is the same thing. I think the first thing that the government needs to do is remove the the artificial caps. Uh, that are in place for natural gas and for electricity because they're basically geared towards single-family homes. doesn't account for big buildings like I live in. Uh, Has there been any response from the government? Uh, They've said they're looking into the expansion of the program. What have they told you? Well, uh, the minister, and we're pleased that the minister has said that, but they've told us nothing. At this point, we're hoping to meet with the minister next week. We're confirming the details, and maybe we'll know a little bit more about what their plans are. Okay, so just so I'm 100% clear on this, you pay your electricity utility rate, right? I mean, it's not co-opted, it's not split. You pay the electricity bill for your condo unit, correct? No, I pay it through my uti- my uh, condominium fees. We all do. Right, so, so it's, it's shared. condominium corporation that pays their utility bill. Gotcha. Okay. How how would that even work then, Phil? How would you go? I mean, are you talking about you're entitled to the same $500 um, that the homeowner who saw their bills, you know, I mean, have you seen an electricity bill for a single detached home? It's crazy. <laughs> would, would it be the same? I mean, what are you looking for? Just everybody should be included? 
everybody should be included. And we have 124 units, that's $62,000. And that should be given as a rebate on our condo bill. We're not asking for a $500 check to be cut cut out. We're asking for the government to treat us the same way they treat any other utility payer and uh, give us the rebate on our condo fees, does sorry, that, on, our, uh, on our utility bills. Do you know, does the condo organization get the $500 rebate? No, they don't. They don't even get that? No, because our building's too big. Hmm. It's an interesting one. I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, we'll be interested to see how the uh, province follows up on this. But, Phil, I appreciate you coming in and giving us uh, what you're looking for. And, uh, like I say, we'll follow up and uh, see yeah, where you my get. My pleasure. Okay, thank thanks you, Phil. For, uh, thanks for including us in your discussion. You bet. That's Phil Rosenzweig of the Condo Owners Society of Alberta. You may not know the name, although you probably do. If you, Even if you don't know the name, you undoubtedly know the work. The great Burt Bacharach passing away at the age of 94. I didn't know this. He, he was uh, born in the U.S. He's an American, but he did attend University at McGill in Montreal. So he's got some Canadian ties. Uh, but in terms of um, songwriting prowess, I don't know. I don't know if he's the best. But he's damn close if he isn't. Um, we're going to check with Eric Alper now, uh, a music commentator that we speak with quite a bit. Eric, thanks so much for joining us on Short Notice. I appreciate your time. No problem. Happy to do it. And I would kind of agree with you up there. I think he absolutely has to be up there with the greatest songwriters of all time. You know, because I know you can easily make a case for a Bob Dylan, sure. Elton John, Paul McCartney, but they were writing for themselves. This is the thing. I was saying earlier, Eric, if Burt Bacharach yeah. had recorded all of the hits that he wrote, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. He's a runaway winner. Oh, uh, absolutely. Anybody that can write for Dusty Springfield, for B.J. Thomas, for The Carpenters, Tom Jones, um, <laughs> Dionne Warwick, um, it is astonishing. And the fact that he was able to do it, and really, I mean, more importantly, I think he turned romance into a very cool and needing thing for a lot of us growing up. I mean, when he was writing these songs with Hal David in the 1950s and 60s, it it allowed people to get in touch with their feelings. They had free love was everywhere. There were wars going on during Vietnam <laughs> and that era. And then all of a sudden, he comes out with, you know, what the world what needs the world now needs now, yeah. more love. It's, be- it's brilliant. It's beautiful. Um, just put it into context. I know you were tweeting out some of the numbers around his incredible career. They're, they're mind-boggling. I mean, Grammys, Oscars, top 10 hits, you name it, right? 
Yeah, he won six Grammy Awards. He won three Oscars. Um, he had 73 Hot 100 hits. He had 52 in the UK and right here in Canada. Um, he was writing and recording and releasing music literally up until the time of his death. In fact, um, he was awarded um, a nomination for a Grammy back in 2020. He was working with this guy named Daniel Tayshan on his EP, and it got a Grammy nomination for the best traditional pop vocal album. Um, and then right before that, he was writing political songs, something that he wasn't really known for, but he wrote a couple of songs um, for for the Sandy Hook Promise, the charity um, that was against gun violence in school. So he was pretty active right up until recently. And, you know, he had um, number one albums in the UK this uh, last decade with Elvis Costello. And mm-hmm. still pretty active, even though that he wasn't flying around and zipping around the world like he used to. He was still pretty active in, in writing songs. And like you say, it's the range. I mean, you're talking B.J. Thomas, you're talking Tom Jones. I mean, in his later years, he was writing and recording with Dr. Dre, Elvis Costello, like he never, he never stopped and there was no genre that he wouldn't happily venture into. No, and especially because when you come from a background that he did of beginning to um, write songs on the piano and then getting into orchestra music. There's something about songwriters that has no fear when it comes to learning about other instruments and figuring out what does this do and what does that do? And the fact that he wrote these songs very subtly, he didn't hammer anything over your head with instruments. It, he had this very 60s ambience, um, very like James Bond. They used strings and orchestras so tastefully. And then when he got connected with Hal David, and that chemistry was, was just yeah. never before seen again. And, you know, uh, in that Brill building, in that Midtown New York building where people would write songs like it was an office space. Um, there was them, there was um, Carol King and Jerry Goffin, there was Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, Andy Kim was there from Montreal. Okay, yeah. The, the ability to just sit there and write songs with one another for the entire world to sing, um, it it's magic. It's, that's the only way that I can say it from a music fan. Is like, I have no idea how these things are done. I have no <laughs> idea how they come up with it. And it feels like even a song like Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, you learn that as a kid and you never leave that. I say a little prayer. I, I heard that as a kid and I'm still hearing it today. It's, it's astonishing. I know the songs, like some of them are absolutely timeless. There was something I was kind of surprised, I'll admit to. Like, um, always something there to remind me by Naked Eyes. He wrote it. It's a much different version that they had the hit with, but I didn't know that he'd written Arthur's theme, for example. I mean, it just crossed so many decades, and it's amazing, his legacy. Keith Richards used to say that the mark of a great guitarist is how well they can play acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, Using that thinking, the mark of a really great songwriter is how many covers other people have done that have hits with it. And when Naked Eyes did always something there to remind me they used the same melody line yeah. with that he invented like 40 years before that in the 80s and um his cover songs of like raindrops and um and butch cassidy and the sundance kid and i'll never fall again and all the songs that that dion warwick recorded do you know the way to san jose was on the number one album for frankie goes to hollywood in 1985 <laughs> you know and, and this was a band that was very out when it oh, came yeah. to gay and lesbian issues and 
and sexual issues. And here they are doing a crooner, very, um, a very straightforward version of it. And all of a sudden, in the 80s, people were like, this is still a great song. And that's, that's when you know that you've hit the mark. And when you mention covers, is there another artist that can make the kind of claim that he has? I mean, the Beatles recorded his songs. I think the Stones did. Sinatra did. Elvis Presley did. Like, I mean, the all-time greats of pop music, he's on every one of their albums. Yeah, especially because when he started and he and his songs were getting played on the radio, Elvis was listening, Bob Dylan was listening, Tom Petty was listening, um, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, all of these artists were listening. And even though that they all kind of went a little bit more on the rockier side, a song like Yesterday by the Beatles and Paul McCartney easily could have been um, a Burt Bacharach tune. That's yeah. that's the you know the the feel of it when he used um, the strings and Elvis or Rigby, that's Burt Bacharach. That's, you know, it may not have been him because that was George, uh, George Martin, but like George took a look at, at what he was doing and said, I think that there's something there that we can kind of, you know, steal and borrow and beg for and then <laughs> apologize later for. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, when you go through that list, there's over a thousand different artists yeah. um, that recorded his songs ranging from pop, rock, jazz, blues, soul, funk, um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll never we'll never see that again and no. i i'm i'm absolutely so sure of it no i think you're you're absolutely right walk us through the relationship with dion warwick who who was the bigger player in that i mean he's supplying the music but she's turning them into hits yeah in the in the mid 1960s um bert discovered dion when she was singing backup for the songs that he was recording and um Dion's sister Dee Dee had a song called Move It on the Backbeat, which is still heard in dance clubs today when they want to do a throwback um, song. And that's when they started to kind of work together. The first uh, recording that they actually did was Don't Make Me Over, a song that is still getting played on thousands of radio stations every single year. And over the next 20 years, um, they had 22 songs in the top 40 on Billboard. Yeah, um, yeah. 22! And, and, <laughs> and this is before, and I know, I know older people get this. This is before you had to release one song at a time. This isn't like Drake releasing a 26-song <laughs> album and all 26 songs make the Billboard right, Album yeah. 100. You had like four months at a time. So to continue to do that over and over again, I say a little prayer, Alfie, walk on by, I'll never fall in love again. Do you know the way to San Jose? Any one of these songwriters today would have given their left arm to have one of those songs. And the, the, I mean, like I say, I knew the music, but sort of one of the moments that I thought was so cool and really sort of put him back into the realm of conversation for me was Austin Powers. Mike Myers loved him and put him in a couple of the Austin Powers movies. Yeah, he, he he was actually in there. He was yeah. he did he did cameo roles in all of the the, the three movies. Um, and, you know that his film, uh, the entire film score, is really based on Burt Bacharach yeah. and Hal David. Um, and you know done by by Canadian. It was done by Mike Myers and his brother. Um, and so the you you can't you can't have you can't say the the, the swinging sixties without no. without their music. It's just impo it's impossible. I know, like you. you and I were just gushing over it, and it's and it's just like we're like two kids at a record store. Um, it, it's one of those things where I urge people, you know, whenever you know, whenever somebody 
who used to tour passes away. You know, you and I always say, uh, you know, this is a really good moment to remind people to go see yeah, these yeah. older types when when they tour because you never know when they're going to be around. The amazing thing is that Burt Bacharach has everything available on YouTube, everything <laughs> available on Spotify. Just go and play it, and I bet you there might be a few more babies being born nine months from now. <laughs> You might be right. You might be right. There's something about it. There's a lot of 70s music that sort of strikes the same chord with me. There's just the right amount of sappiness, just the right amount of cheese. Like, it's super smooth. It's it's perfect. I, it, there's there's that genre that just, yeah, okay, it's unabashedly sappy, but it's so good. Uh, what? There's nothing wrong with sappy. No. Actually, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a new music documentary um uh, about yak rock. Oh, yeah. It's about, you know, like this movie I was like, Dan Hill and Love Toto. It. Um, I, it, make fun of it all you want. In 40 years, we're still going to be listening <laughs> yeah. to songs that Burt wrote and that, um, that you know, Yesterday by the Beatles oh, will, yeah. will be the most popular song after Here Comes the Sun, which is probably as close to soft rock as the Beatles will ever get. Um, it's lush harmonies. It's lush orchestra. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why Mozart, Brahms, and Bach are still heard by, you know, orchestras, which are really cover bands, more or less. Um, but, like, you know, there, there's a reason why it, we're still listening to that music um, today is because Bert had his finger not only on the cool, hip, you know, swinging London, swinging 60s, and swinging L.A., and free love, and, and all of that. But um, there's nothing wrong with that. No. There's nothing wrong with, you know, as that song goes, there's nothing wrong, what's, wrong, what's so wrong with both peace, love, and understanding. <laughs> Ending. It's like it's right there. So let, I don't know if we can answer this because music is subjective, but it's so much fun to talk about. Is he the greatest pop song composer of all time, Eric? He might be. Yeah, Rolling Stone rated him in the top forty. Um, they top put him forty? In, oh come on! Yeah, yeah, they put him in at number thirty-two, which I, I think. Oh please! As a, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things where you know you 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 kind of have to be a little bit hipper and leave some of the old people in the, yeah, in the rear yeah. view mirror a little bit. Um, but yeah, look, it it's uh, you know. Talk to me in 40 years. I mean, when, when we're in the old age home, I guarantee you that this music will still be heard um, by the kids who yeah, yeah. still want their way around a good pop song. And look, you know, and, and I know that you know, we may not have a lot of time left, but, you know, when you talk about TikTok and 30-second video snippets using songs mm -hmm. and all of those songs becoming popular again... Burt Bacharach and Hal David would have been perfect for TikTok, just the same, because they knew how to get into your mind and get the melody in there and make you never forget their songs. I've been humming what the world needs now for yeah, about three and a half hours, and I probably will be for at least the rest of the day. I mean, you, they get in there, and you're right, they don't get out, Eric. Yeah, no, exactly. Hey, man, that's what friends are for. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Good stuff. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for listening today. If you hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.